It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy and spreadsheet nonce, Nathan A. Clark. <laughs> That's a good one. That might be the best one, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, uh, because you tweeted a spreadsheet. I Not only, I've tweeted two spreadsheets in like a 12-hour spread, so you can tell the season is over already. Okay, I, I knew one of them because you, you ran it past me. What was the other one? Yeah, oh, the other one was much more noncey. The other one was... Uh, a breakdown of points, games, points per game, expected points, expected points per games, and a projection Ooh. of points per games and expected points per games if they were to be dragged out over the course of the season. Breaking it down into time this season under Pochettino, time this season under Mourinho pre-lockdown, time this season under Mourinho post-lockdown, and all time under Mourinho. And basically our expected points have been consistently the same throughout as our results have varied. I really, really want to see the spreadsheet. Um, I'm off Twitter for 48 hours in solidarity with uh, my Jewish friends and and followers. Uh, But I really want to see that spreadsheet because I actually included something in the running order about just this. Around the discussions that are ongoing about where we would be under Mourinho. But let's come back to that. Firstly, I just want to give a a quick shout out to uh, a man by the name of Mike Smith. Very nice man by the name of Mike Smith. I've been working with him on some artwork for my other podcast, which I've mentioned, 50 Minutes with Flav and Windy. And he's made me this awesome cover photo as well for my Twitter, which I will be uploading as soon as I'm back on that platform. And I kind of just wanted to say thanks to Mike and also recommend him for anyone who might need a designer. He's really easy to work with. He's a fantastic designer. You can look at his work on mikesmithdesign.co.uk and yeah, make sure you tell him you came from the Extra Inch podcast if you if you choose to use him. But um, yeah, highly recommend Mike. He's lovely and he's great. Uh, all that aside, Crystal Palace happened. <laughs> uh, I don't really remember a great deal about the game, to be honest, Nathan. And the reason for that is I kind of lost interest in it, and I was mm. I was I was basically pissing about on my phone for at least half of it. I think. How how did you find it? Yeah, my experience wasn't dramatically different, considering like how much was on the line. How like if Palace had scored at any minute, it could have had a significant. It was also like pretty <laughs> difficult to watch. Yeah. I was watching the Chelsea Wolves game on a different screen at the same time. 
time ah, and okay. switching back and forth. Um, and yeah, I don't know. The, the first half was all right. Um, and I, there's a video I've just seen uh, that was on the, the subreddit where it's 68 minutes and it's Mourinho finding out the Chelsea score. And Delhi is warming up. He's ready to come on. And he finds out the Chelsea score and he immediately goes over to Delhi. He says, no, stay there. Stay there for a few more minutes. Oh. We don't, we, we, this game is shut down. A draw is fine. That <laughs> makes it, sense. I remember telling. it was around the drinks break, right? Yeah. yeah. Just before the drinks break started, I remember him, I, I could see him saying something over and over again. I couldn't work out what he was saying, but perhaps it was Delhi, Delhi, Delhi. And he was probably calling him to say, you know, don't worry, you're not going on. Yeah. Intriguing. Okay. I mean, that, that makes so much sense because it it was it was peak Jose Mourinho in, in the <laughs> second half, wasn't it? Um, like you said, the first half was fine. I thought there was some some good stuff, some bad stuff, but the goal from Kane was great. Yeah, really, really enjoyed that good uh, pressing touch and as finish. well in the lead up to that. I thought yes, pressed yeah. very high all of us and won the ball as it as well. You know that's. And not only won the ball high, but immediately transitioned to an effective attack after winning the ball high. You know, that's that's good stuff. And then that was basically it for the whole game. But <laughs> that's, that's what you get. Lacelso got an assist, which will keep certain sections of our fan base oh. quiet, I guess. I mean, it's it's worth talking about this briefly, I think, because sure. I think Lacelso, because we lost Ericsson and Lacelso came to the fore. People see him as an immediate replacement for Ericsson, and he's really, really not. He's just not that kind of player. I mean, even I if he's playing the same positions, I don't think he's going to be playing the same passes. Go on, disagree with me. <laughs> well, he, you know, we've lost our playmaker and we've replaced him with another, you know, creative playmaker type. I guess he's going to be playing less sort of line-breaking passes and, and crosses than Ericsson was, but it's a very similar role. Assist are part of his job. He has two now. Mm. Uh, he's putting up 0.1 expected assist per 90, which is at the lower end of what you're looking for a playmate. It's sort of the floor. Yeah. And, and considering how many games he's played in the central midfield role, you can give him a bit of leeway with that. But yeah, he's, he's you know, he's not had an outstanding chance creation season, but he's been our, you know, primary chance creator in the uh, second half of the season. Uh, you know, the, 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 the level that we're playing at and the level that we're creating at means that he's not going to be a statistical standout, but he is... I, it, it's not as simple as to say assists aren't his job. Assists are one of the many facets of his job. Um, but also assists are freaky and weird and you can put up chance after chance after chance to get no assists or every time you accidentally fall over the ball, the next player could bang it in for you and you end up with 20 assists in a season. The, the assists are, are such, there is so much variance around assists that the actual assist figure is essentially useless. Um, but he's creating a chance and a half, two chances a match, and that is part of his job, and he has been doing that, despite all of the circumstances that limit that for him. That's that's, that's totally fair enough. I see him as way more of a do-it-all midfielder than Ericsson ever was. Sure. And so I will I will judge him as something between Modric and Ericsson, rather than Ericsson, if that makes sense, because I think he's doing a lot of the, the work rate stuff that Ericsson just ne- never did, and we didn't ask him to do, and it was fine that he didn't do that. Well, it's not true. He he, he worked. Ericsson was a worker in terms of his pressing and uh, cutting off passing lanes, but he wasn't kind of making tackles and interceptions in midfield and then uh, playing vertical passes forward that then lead to someone and then created something. And I personally think we're sort of transitioning away from having 
a creative hub in the team towards having a workman-like midfield and a front three that create for themselves, a bit like Liverpool, in a sense. Uh, except Liverpool have got the added bonus of having really good fullbacks that create too. But they haven't got a, a midfielder that is particularly creative. No, but, but Liverpool are the exception because of the way that they play. And then on top of that, yes, the, the sort of outrageous crossing game of both fullbacks at the same time I, I don't this is this is an argument that I, I see quite a bit where you know where, where I talk about a team needs a playmaker and people say well Liverpool don't have one but other teams don't play like Liverpool do a couple of teams play a bit like Liverpool do but most teams don't and we certainly don't um I don't know can you get by without a creative player if you just play like a medium block and counter game probably not I think if you look back through Mourinho's history he's always had a creative player in his team because you know you need you want someone to play that ball over you look like especially Fabregas at his last title win playing that ball over the top of Costa all the time um, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think that's just the way it is, and I do think that Lacelso is, yeah, he's 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 more like he's you know on the Modric to Ericsson scale, he's a little over halfway towards Modric. Modric puts up uh, 0.16 expected assists per match over the course of all of his Real Madrid seasons. So you know, if he's that type of player, then he's he's sort of he's in line with that, you know. Yeah, this is sort of the conversation we were having over WhatsApp during the match as well. I, I feel like, I mean, I agree, basically, the Celso is our best playmaker, undoubtedly, but I don't think he's being used as a playmaker. And I think the way that Mourinho is setting us up will mean that we're not going to see him make chance after chance after chance, because frankly, we don't have the possession to do that anyway. Like, if he becomes a really efficient playmaker who when he gets a, like one or two chances to make a pass and makes it then great but I can't see him creating in the same way that Ericsson did where we had so much possession and he could take more chances because we'd get the ball back and you get another go that's not really us anymore we've got to be more ruthless and and also the Celso is playing a little bit more deep than Ericsson did under Pochettino so I don't think it's comparing apples with apples I think it's I think it's slightly different. But I agree that the Celso can playmake and is our best playmaker as it stands. I think Ndombele could become like a, just as good a playmaker given a shot. It is interesting. I mean, it's partly the effect of Mourinho's uh, tactics and partly the nature of the player, I think. And Lo Celso also, let's, let's remember that he's played a variety of different roles throughout his career. He's played the deep midfield kind of combative role and he's played the role as a number 10 and he's played off the right um and I guess you could say the same for Ericsson he played on the left a fair bit before he moved into the center but he never played that kind of combative midfield role and that's not because Lo Celso is not good at playing as a 10 so he got moved back it's that he's really good at playing as an 8 so he got yeah. moved back so it's a, it's, a, it's a testament to him having good all-round ability I guess was there anything from the Palace game that was notable to you Nathan in terms of our tactics or style uh, we didn't play lopsided fullbacks. Ben Davies got up and down the line a little bit, um, which is a bit of a trend we've seen over the last few weeks. That maybe we're moving away from that, or maybe we want to use that more sparsely, so it's a little harder to prepare for. Or maybe we're preparing to not be playing with Ben Davies and Serge mm. Aurier. Um, <laughs> let's see how that goes. 
my theory on that is that since Winks came back into the team and played as the deepest line midfielder, he's dropped occasionally into the back three uh, to get us started. And I wonder whether that might be why Davis has been a little higher. I was really surprised when I saw the average position charts to see Davis kind of higher up the pitch than I anticipated. He was nowhere near like the left-sided centre-back, essentially, that I expected. But you're right, it's because recently we've transitioned towards a more orthodox setup. Sorry, we're going to say something then. <laughs> uh, it's it's such. This is me being pedantic, completely unnecessary. But average position charts are based on, or normally, whenever I see them, are based on touches, and where you have your touches ah, is not okay. necessarily where you are. That that's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant because it shows that Davies was where he was. But I just I can't <laughs> help but hear a mention of an average position chart without being. No, set off. that's a useful clarification. To be honest, um, really useful clarification because like you'll often see like. Um, especially recently for Spurs, you like average position chart, and then Harry Kane is like underneath the centre backs or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, why is it? Why is he playing there? It's like he's not. That's just he's getting most of his touches in like the beginning of counter attacks rather than where he's actually stood and heading away corners and heading away corners. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which, which he's really good at. Yeah. Um, Palace, I, I thought were better than I expected. Uh, partly. Be- you know, partly because we were quite passive and happy just to defend our penalty area, and so they had a bit more space to work with. But I thought Jeff Schlupp played really well. I thought their their young left back played well. Um, they certainly offered more thrust than I expected, and I was that surprised kind of, they cared. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> that was it. You know, I, it was that kind of typical last ever season match where you expect the kind of on the beach. Uh, approach from a team who's got nothing to play for. But to be fair to them, you know, IU had a really good game and like the Schlupp I thought was good and, and they were fine. Like they outplayed us for much of the game. Would you agree? Uh well, you know, it's it's like you know, we controlled the game without controlling the ball and you 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 know, Palace aren't gonna create many situations against set defensive sides. So yeah. you know, we allowed them to to have the ball, didn't we? And that was certainly the case. They they, they created chances but none of them were sort of guilt edge chances sure uh and one was probably probably about right on balance of play i would say uh but it kind of did what we needed to do uh and Mourinho was celebrating at the end what did you make of that that kind of the big <laughs> ring of coaching stuff he loves that he, he like he loves the like the performative joy thing like he, i remember him doing that like when united won like the charity shield or whatever where he's like he deliberately makes a big thing hmm. of like <laughs> what he knows is what he's previously disparaged as a minor thing <laughs> um and then it's like therefore like he's loudly broadcasting the message that i have succeeded this is a success this is not to be doubted as anything other than a really good thing you can tell because i'm jumping up and down with joy (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean opposition fans would certainly say small club mentality wouldn't they celebrating qualifying for the europa league but when you look back over where we've come from it's difficult to argue that it hasn't no, been a success it is a success yeah. it absolutely is but it's the fact that he has to like do yeah. the big show of the success that's funny yeah uh nathan what have you made of the post restart premier league um it was better than i thought it would be 
Mm. And, it was better than I thought it would be in terms of product and in terms of, you know, no games being cancelled, no, like, large numbers of a squad falling ill, etc, etc. Um, so, <laughs> again, my other sport is mixed martial arts, and they've been continuing on. They started back again a month or two earlier than football did, so they didn't have much of a break at all. And about half their uh, roster is American, and a lot of them are Brazilian, and a lot of the cards, not recently, but initially took place in the US. Um, so they had a lot of cancellations uh, because players kept contracting the virus and coaches kept contracting the virus and things had to be cancelled. And we didn't really see... There was something earlier on with Brighton where they were talking about pulling out or delaying or weren't able to train. And there were mm. a couple of earlier cases, but we, we pretty much cleaned up... Um, pretty fast and got into good situations and handled things. I mean, there are a lot of like blokes standing around in corridors with like masks under their chin. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was, it was, I mean, we, we won't know till later on. Um, well, we may, we probably never know if, what impacts, if any, it all had, but it was, it was safer than I was expecting based on what we know so far. Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. I, I'm, um, pleasantly surprised by how well planned and managed the whole thing was in terms of what we could see i mean i know when we spoke to alex for the two project restart podcasts he had concerns about the testing process and rightly so because they sounded very flimsy from everything we knew Uh, but from the, the stuff that you could see on your tv screen it looked really well done and the fact that like you say there've been minimal outbreaks uh that kind of implies that things have gone uh, well as as they planned it to um and and so it's really pleasing i've i've really enjoyed having football back it's been a very welcome distraction for yeah. the end of lockdown the frequency of games has suited me perfectly i know it's not <laughs> ideal for the players but it's been really lovely to have that kind of match to look forward to every two or three days so that's been great i'm intrigued now to see uh, how soon the season restarts it's scheduled to start in about three weeks, I think, which is crazy. But I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be pushed back a little bit further. So it's seven weeks from now, as it stands, and right. um, Europa League is is so. Uh, if Chelsea win the FA Cup, um, then we are through to the group stage. But if that lot down the road win, mm. then we are in the qualifiers, and the qualifiers are in like three or four weeks which is insane yeah but there's scope for that to be pushed back i suspect you reckon well well, i guess we'll have to wait and see it's the players won't necessarily need a long break because they've already had one but at the same time there'll be transfer business and clubs will be one clubs will want to break i'm sure i'm sure they'll want to break so i will wait and see any other observations about the post restart football particularly in terms of the use of substitutions or the style of football generally well, I think it's really suited us and Mourinho and the way that he likes to play. I think that he, so something that we talked about before, we talked about uh, tactical periodization mm. and um, rotation and such. And the way that Mourinho plays a slower, less demanding, less physically demanding version of football, less combative version mm. of football means that we wouldn't have to like... You know, players can play twice in a week essentially for us, and that has that is less the case for other sides. We've seen a lot of, like especially right at the beginning, um, like we saw that 
Arsenal game where they like seven players went down with muscle injuries or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and all that kind of stuff. And that has really suited us, our ability to, especially like the last few games, just grind out that same 11 week after week after week, get some subs in at the end just for a bit of rest. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's really suited us and it's really suited. Um, I mean, it's curious, like, is this how Mourinho wants us to play next season or is this what he did for just post-lockdown football? And I think it's, it's I could definitely go either way because it, it makes a lot of sense to say, OK, uh, you know, I'm going back to old school Mourinho just for this because it's going to work in these conditions. And it really did. Um, because I think pre-lockdown, he was trying something more expensive, more expansive, more modernised, um, more like what we were doing before. So it's it'll be interesting, be very, very interesting to see what comes next. I, I, I do suspect, or I'm certainly open to the idea that that was just what we wanted to do for now to get through things and, you know, climb our way up to sick doing it. So fair play. I think that's a very reasonable takeaway. But the only uh, argument I would have against that is that if you were doing what you just described, I don't think he'd be shy in telling the cameras that. I don't think he'd be shy in telling the press conferences. You know, mm. football's different now, so uh, we have to adjust to that. And he, he's been quite coy on that, from what I can tell. He's not really spoken about he has spoken about developing a style and, and coaching the squad and having a long period with the squad together for the first time. Um, so my suspicion is it's probably <laughs> that's just the way we're going to play now. But I mean, time will Let tell. Me dream. <laughs> yeah, dream yeah, no, pli- no, please do because you need to. You need to because it's, <laughs> you know if, if yeah, we, we've had this conversation before. But it, that game against Crystal Palace was pretty much unwatchable at times. It was <laughs> not pretty. We got we got the result we needed. This is the thing, and there are plenty of fans who are very happy with that, and that's cool. Like, there's different ways to appreciate football, and we all want different things, and that's absolutely fine. I wouldn't like to see a season of that. <laughs> I really wouldn't like to see a season of that. Uh, however, I mean, it's difficult to argue against the results, isn't it? He's he's kind of done what he needed to do to get us as high up the table as he could, and he's kind of achieved beyond probably what we expected. Certainly, just pre-lockdown we were all feeling pretty down at that point um and we'd kind of given up on the idea of having european football which obviously adds money to the coffers it's another game to enjoy once a week um it gives us an opportunity to blood some young players so he's done what he needs to do there's there's two kind of uh schools of thought on it there's a school of thought that says you know he's ground out the results because that's what he needs to do and there's a school of thought that says this is just Mourinho's style and these are the results you get with Mourinho's style um with Mourinho's style either way it's got the job done for now and if uh, if he were to walk away tomorrow then we can say that he had a successful tenure can't we yeah, there was an interesting tweet about this, uh, and it goes back to what you were saying about your spreadsheet. So it was very tongue in, <laughs> very tongue in uh, cheek. But it was M4 tweeted. Sorry, it's THFC underscore M4. He tweeted. He tweeted. Jose Mourinho took Tottenham from three points off fifth to three points off fifth. Serial winner. <laughs> Which does kind of miss. It kind of misses the 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 concept of uh, arithmetic. But um, it's. Ba- I mean, the, the points per game reality is very different to the literal three points off fifth reality and so that's where your spreadsheet comes in handy nathan <laughs> you're welcome everybody yeah yeah but yeah i mean what do your projections show in terms of had Mourinho had us all season so if you look at all of Mourinho's games uh he's hitting 1.7 points per game uh which over a season works out to about 66 points which is sort of fifth pushing fourth maybe 
I think, in the typical season. Obviously, this was not a typical season. Hmm. Uh, if you look at just post-lockdown games, um, and he's hitting two points a game, which is a 76-point season. Um, that's fourth or third, I think, in a typical season. Um, the thing with that, though, is that our expected points throughout the season, you know, whether under Pochettino, whether under Mourinho, whether before lockdown, whether after lockdown, is that we've consistently been hitting 1.3 expected points per game, which averages out to about 50 point a season. Um, I would say that specifically with the way that we've played post-lockdown is that we've scored from our first chance, sat back, and allows the opposition to litter us with long-distance shots. And that's mm. why... I need to explain what expected points are, don't I? So expected points is like a share of three points, like down to two decimal places, based on the probability of who should... who Not who should, but who was most likely to win the game, based on the expected goals created by both sides, right? So if you take, for example, the Palace game, we created 0.3 expected goals, right? Again, we essentially scored our first chance. We turned the ball over high up the pitch. Lo Celso fed the ball to Kane. Kane brilliantly bounced it between his feet. Just incredible bit of athleticism. It brought so much joy um, to me. Um, and and that was basically it, right? After that, we sat, sat back and Palace littered with shots, littered with shots um, that largely bounced into shins. Uh, obviously, they got Schlupp's shot from a corner, which is 0.5. They totaled 0. Uh, essentially one expected goal. They hit theirs, right? So this gives us... Um, an exp- so it gives Palace 2.05 expected points and gives us 0.62 expected points, right? So that would suggest that Palace were unlucky. But I think if you look at the way we've played this game and several others like it in the last few weeks, we've scored from our first chance and set back. And that's really warped the statistics. Now, what you could say is that we've been really lucky with how we've scored that first chance. And then in future, um, we're going to have to create two, three, four, five chances before we get that first goal. I would also say what I really expect, the improvement if we carry on down this line, is that we're going to get better on the counter-attack and we're going to punish teams more for coming forward. And we're going to continue to create chances chances after our first goal because we're going to like we saw Arsenal is the the example so far is that we're going to become horrible to to go forward against um and, and yeah more like more like the North London derby game interesting so the the expected points system is slightly flawed oh it's very flawed it's yeah <laughs> but i really like it i think it's 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 useful over the course of maybe a season that's, that's what i was going to come on to yeah. yeah so so you'd expect it across a season to be roughly right but um Mourinho is is trolling the expected points system as it stands with his <laughs> yeah. play style but i mean that's what you've described his play style as being like from the very beginning of his tenure you said that he likes to manipulate the, the scoreline he likes to get ahead first and then he can do what he likes to do which is well he's got two options if we're ahead uh, and that gives him greater capacity to, to manage the team in the way he sees fit at the time and and like you say the the best case scenario is we get better at counter-attacking and we see more of that Arsenal game uh, the worst case scenario is we don't get the first goal very often and we become very very painful to, painful on the eye as we try and break down uh, a set defense with a team that's not not set up to play possession football and doesn't even have the right personnel to do so. So, swings and roundabouts. Well, that's what we saw, you know, against Everton, Bournemouth. And Crystal Palace, except we scored first against Palace. Yeah, yeah. With a bit of luck, <laughs> arguably. Um, have you adjusted to watching Mourinho ball? In that, like, I expect it. 
Yeah. In that, like, I know to wait for the moments and listen when there's, like, a bit of excitement. Watch when there's a bit of excitement in the, with the commentator or whatever and, and, and accept that there are going to be phases where I pay little attention uh, and, and try to sort of, yeah, follow the game from a bit more of a, a distance, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 um, that's 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 exactly the same as how I feel. Um, it's it's not what I want for my football club, but it's not the end of the world. It's It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. And I think next year, as long as we kind of use young players in the Europa League, there's going to be some excitement there because you're, you might be seeing the next Harry Kane. That's that's exciting, right? Like That's something to genuinely look forward to. We're going to see, hopefully, some players that we wouldn't otherwise see because Mourinho's already said he likes to use young players in the Europa League. Uh, and and yeah, that that could lead to that could lead to another huge talent coming through our academy, which is which is great news. Um, and I look forward to that happening. So the other thing that was notable about the Crystal Palace match was that it was Jan Vertonghen's last appearance in a Spurs shirt. I thought it was a real pity that he didn't get on the pitch. I know the crowd yeah. wasn't there, so it kind of made less of a it made it less of an issue. But we kind of we brought on a centre back for the last yeah, couple of minutes. Like, I was a bit been. like, why couldn't it just be Vertonghen just to yeah, give him man. one last run out? But um, sad times see the back see the end of of Jan Vertonghen as a Spurs player. Uh, I really warmed to him over his time with Spurs and the video that the club released of him where other players were talking about the impact he's had on their careers and in the dressing room just showed what an important figure he's been for these what eight years I think it's eight years um I think he's the best kind of ball playing defender that we've had in my lifetime I I would say Ledley King would come close in terms of his technique out of very old certainly in terms of his passing but in terms of pure dribbling ability and skill with the football at his feet I think Vertonghen's number one. Uh, of course. The, the Vertonghen and Alderweireld partnership is certainly the best centre-back pairing that I've seen at Spurs. Yeah. Um, anything you'd like to add about Jan Vertonghen, Nate? Yeah, no, I I, I, I completely agree. I, I really like Vertonghen. I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I very much warm to like his grumpiness that I yeah, think yeah, some yeah. people is turned off by, but I, I really like the honesty of it and the character of it and that he will like, you know, he'll shrug <laughs> with an annoyed look on his face when things aren't going right if he feels like a, another player has let him down because I don't know it's less robotic it's more real and um, I don't know I, I just like that about him uh, I, I found him a very um, interesting character and also a brilliant brilliant footballer of course hmm. um, sort of stuck between centre back and left back at times which I understand that he was frustrated by obviously when people talk about his best performances they're going to mention Dortmund last season where he played at wing back uh, which I guess says a lot about his game and, and his abilities from from a centre back position um, but it, it's consistency over years uh, still being a, a good player when things were bad and then stepping up to being a great player when when things improved at the club um i think playing on the left of a back three was probably his best spell yeah um, because that really allowed him to be adventurous with his running be being the third man we used to play a thing where we would do a switch um in the deepest area and he would become the free man and get to surge forwards with the ball at his feet which i really enjoyed he used to do some he did it a couple of times under vs boas as as well in a back two i remember him combining with bale against swansea um he had a he had a strangely good 
good partnership with with a forward for a while that season. Um, I mean, yeah, a, a really brilliant player, and, and I, for me at least, a really likable character. I will really miss that Jan Vertonghen drop of the shoulder and step into midfield. Yeah, man, where he would nearly always find a useful pass forward. Um, yeah, he's he's been great, a fantastic servant, and we're really going to miss him. We're really going to miss him, and it seems like Mourinho has has set on Eric Dyer as uh, the long term replacement. I mean, he made no. He I was surprised actually that Dyer played this game against Palace. I, I thought that Sanchez would get another match. Did that surprise you, Nate? It didn't surprise me. I feel like I'm the only person who's not surprised. Tell me why okay. you're surprised. Uh, just because I thought Sanchez had had a, a good run of games and it was the last game of the season they didn't feel like any particular need to change things up. But Dyer signed a new deal and there's been this big thing of Dyer being like a first-choice centre-back and Dyer started the post-lockdown and he's been in decent form and, you know, he, he's Mourinho's boy. I... Yeah, I mean, and as, lo- as much as that says nice things to Eric Dyer and probably makes him feel very happy, it can't be great for Davinson Sanchez. I, I can't imagine he's feeling too. Yeah, I, th- I think you just accept that, like you're the third. Like he's been, he's has he ever been our like first choice, one of our first choice centre backs. But, in, but with the Tongan, with the Tongan leaving, maybe he's thinking, finally, this is my time. I, this, I get to shine, <laughs> okay, all right. and now he's behind someone who's moved position. Yeah, okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. It just felt a little bit unnecessary, but then at the same time, Dyer played really well and has played well, and apparently is incredibly vocal and really helpful in organising the backline. So for all of those reasons, I get it, but. Um, yeah, just I, mean, I was surprised. I, I say this every time we bring up Davinson Sanchez. He is twenty four. Like he's he's a baby in centre back terms. Still, I'm not sure that's baby. I don't think that's a baby. Any, okay. I don't think. Well, he's a he's a he's a teenager. <laughs> I don't know. He's I, he's pre peak. I I, I do have long term concerns about Davinson Sanchez. To be honest, I'm, I'm I I feel brave enough to say this about Bardi here because he love Bardi loves Davinson Sanchez so much. He thinks he's fantastic. He thinks he's like one of our one of our better players. I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth and sees him as a as a long term centre back for Spurs. I don't, to be honest. I I I thought he played really well in the season when he first came and and played lots. Normally in the back three, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't think he's quite developed as we would have hoped. He was not a cheap centre back signing. That's I think true. it was like forty million either euros or pounds. Um he broke our transfer record at the time. Yeah. So if on we, that basis. If, if we got sell. an offer of forty million for him now, like they would definitely sell, right? Uh yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And he might find himself further down the pecking order if we sign Kim. I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. Uh speaking of Bardi, we will do a, a season wrap up once Bardi's back. And I'm sure Bardi wants to talk about Jan Vertongen too. He needs to have an opportunity to show some love to Jan. Uh, we're also expecting the all or nothing Amazon show to drop probably mid August and we'll do some podcasts around that too. But to finish off today, we'll just do some questions. <laughs> 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So starting off with one from Javad Motherheady. He says, uh, is it such a bad thing if a young player with talent doesn't get game time on, time on loan? And he specifically references Phil Foden, where he says, Pep felt it was best for his development to stay, and sure enough, he seems to be slowly getting his chances and taking them. What do you think, Nathan? Do you have a, opinions on this either way? You know, I mean, every time Foden's going to come up, Sancho's going to come up. <clears throat> same age group, same club, same country, same breakout under-17 World Cup um, you know, moment. Uh, Sancho in the middle or just before that tournament had moved to Dortmund Foden remained at City Sancho is you know in talks for like an 80 million pound move Foden is just breaking through now I I'm not Pep Guardiola I don't train with Foden I don't have you know I don't have any coaching experience Guardiola might be the best coach in the world with all of that said I don't see the ways in which Foden is better now than he was two years ago and why he couldn't have started playing you know 20 minutes back then starting the occasional game back then um starting consistent cup games back then um so okay yes patience has worked out for Foden in that he is now beginning to break through in one of the best teams in the world uh he's still very young even though he wasn't as young as he was before yes patience has worked out but I don't think it's helped I doubt, I struggle to believe it's helped develop him in that time. Um, you know, I don't think he's much different than he was before. No, and I'm sure if you asked him, he would say that he's different. Uh, and he is different as a person, of course, because you're different at 20 to how you are at 17. Like, that's, sure. just a, that's just a fact. You just, you grow up, right? It's not unusual. <laughs> but it's not unusual to be a much more rounded person uh, at 20 to what you were in your late teens. That's, I think that's normal. Of course. And, and I think every case is, is person specific. I think there might be some players that need to go alone because you're worried about their immaturity and they need to learn what it's like to kind of live away from being coddled or whatever and tested against, against like the brutes that you get in league two or whatever. And I think that's, that's had some positive effects for some Spurs players over the years. I'm thinking back to Ryan Mason and Stephen Corker and Corker and Andrews Townsend all going down to Yeovil together and rooming together. And they learned a lot about what it's like to live alone and train with actual men whose careers depend on this game of once a week. I think there's think something to be said about that. And it's a bit different for Foden because in some ways he had a career path to find for him, which was you learn from David Silva. And when David Silva leaves, you take his place. Not every young player is lucky enough to have that. Not every young player has got a defined career path where, with a manager that says, if you carry on doing these things, you will be here by this time. And they do all have um, uh, performance plans, I'm sure, and development plans. And they, they'll each have their specific KPIs to meet. Every young player will. Uh, but they're not going to be as lucky as Foden is to have a, 
a clear pathway to the first team and obviously for Sancho he couldn't he couldn't see that pathway he he thought my pathway is better if I move to a club that's going to play me now rather than the club that might play me in three years which I completely respect and understand and admire him for doing I personally think that playing is better than not playing regardless of anything else regardless of training with the first team uh, the only example I can think of a, a player at Spurs who stayed around and then got games was Harry Winks. Every sure. other player has needed to go on loan to get regular games. Some of them have got fed up of not being sent on loan and have left. The likes of Edwards, for example. Um, Keenan Bennett's another one. Um, and, and people will come back and say, well, you know, the fact that only Edwards is doing well of all of our youngsters shows that we were making the right decisions and it wasn't a problem that they were leaving and i'm like well d- development's not linear we don't know what would have happened if things had taken a different path if people had different exposure at different ages so it's not possible to make that argument now but that basically there's more than one way to skin a cat but generally i think playing is better than not playing sure and like patience and not playing hasn't been much of a hindrance of Foden. He's given up a couple of years that he can happily afford at the beginning yeah. of his career and he's getting through now whereas for other players that would have been um, very, very destructive and there are a lot of players who uh, things haven't worked out for with that sort of two years of waiting around. Definitely, definitely. I also think Foden is an unusually uh, mature decision maker on the pitch. Yeah, 100%. He, his, his, his playing is so beyond his years. Extremely, definitely, extremely. definitely. So perhaps it wasn't so vital for him to go out and iron out mistakes because he can just step in with limited minutes under his belt. Maybe there's something in that. uh, But I still think we're being quite generous to Pep if we if we say that. Um, I think it's been quite selfish of Guardiola to hold on to Foden just to give him a few minutes here and there over the last two years. And I think if he'd had gone on loan to like a German Bundesliga team or a championship club, I think he'd be a much better player now. That's not to say he's not brilliant now because he really is. He's a fantastic young player. And I think he's going to be a star next season when he gets proper minutes. Another question from Javad. He says, do you think there is any chance that Kyle Walker-Peters will come back to Spurs? Yes, I wouldn't completely rule it out. I think Mourinho is toying with the idea at least, or at least wants to pretend that's the case to get more of a V out of Southampton. Mm. I'm going to, I'm looking at putting together maybe a video piece on Walker-Peters looking at his time in Southampton. They're interested in him. um, And if a good Premier League team are interested in your player you should have a think about holding on to that player you know Uh, I don't know maybe it depends on you know because he did the Foden thing he waited around for two years he rode the bench week after week after week after week after week he signed new contracts he got promises of play times he played three cup games whatever and things just continued in that frustrating direction and now he's got a taste of football he might stick you know he might say I don't want to risk just being back on the bench again even if Spurs seem more interested in me now than they were before he might say I can I've got assurances of playtime at Southampton so I guess if that's the way he feels then there's not a lot we can do to persuade him Um, but I think from a Spurs perspective he's you know we need a right back he's a right back yeah yeah I mean if he's taking advice from people who who know football I'm sure they'll be telling him that you are much more suited to a Ralph Hasenhutl side than you are to a Jose Mourinho side to be honest I I think he's a really good fit for Southampton their fans love him because he's been putting in kind of up and down the wing style performances where he kind of sometimes drifts into midfield like he used to do for our under 18s and kind of almost dictates tempo from midfield which is so unusual for a fullback but he does it really effectively he's a very uh, clever user of the ball in 
those midfield areas. And I think he will do really well if he stays in Southampton. I'm not so convinced he would do well if he comes back to Spurs. Uh, but then it could, could depend on what you said earlier, Nathan. Does Mourinho want to change tact with our fullbacks? Does he want to try something different? Or, I don't know, he, he's certainly a very different player to Serge Aurier. Aurier is much more physically robust, able to take hits. He's better in the air. Uh, he's got a bicycle kick aerial clearance <laughs> in his locker. Yes, he has that. He has that. I think Walker Peters is a better user of the ball. I think he's much better at hitting the byline. I think he's really good at cutbacks. Don't think he's as good at crossing from deep. If our fullbacks are there to cross from deep, then keep Aurier. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot depends on what Mourinho wants. But at the moment, Walker Peters could be the key to getting one of our main transfer deals done this window, and that is uh, signing Huybier. If Southampton demand Walker Peters in exchange, then I suspect he will go in exchange, and that'll be that. Joe Gilby emailed us. He said, I'm wondering why exactly Tottenham signed Ndombele. On the surface, it makes sense. An incredibly talented midfielder who could open up a team in a second. But the more I take, take a step back and look at the cold light of day, it doesn't make much sense. Ndombele is somewhat of a luxury midfielder, when in a post-Ndombele area, we are crying out for an industrious unit of a midfielder, which Tongi is not. I wonder if the club, in trying to replace Dembele and Eriksson, tried to kill two birds with one stone, but instead have now been left with just one big lump of stone who does not seem to fit our system mm. at all. What do you think to that, Nathan? Yeah, no, I think we were expecting him to be much more industrious than he has been. And I think that he was much more industrious in Ligon than, than than he's given us so far. Whether that is a result of I don't know, a change in attitudes based on, you know, oh, well, I've I've got my big contract and my big club, so I'll stop yeah. trying. I doubt that. I, or whether it's, you know, an injury thing, the, the tooth issue thing, whether mm. he's just been upset with the circumstances, whether it's that the Premier League is more demanding, that, he, you know, he, he's been a slightly, he's been a quite different player here than he was there. But I think that the signing made a huge amount of sense at the time. You know, we needed to replace we needed for Pochettino to replace uh, Moussa Dembele with a player who was like him a ball carrier a ball progressor a mercurial talent and a, 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 a pressing resistor and then Dombele was all of those things it hasn't worked out so far but you, the best time to judge when a transfer is is the information that was available at the time and I, I stand by that it was a good decision based on what we knew and who he was and all and the conditions at the club at the time yeah, absolutely. And I think it's all of those things that you, you mentioned. It's the injury, it's the Premier League being a bit more intense than expected, it's him being upset at the lack of playtime, it's it's everything. And if we're willing to make excuses for Mourinho, like, you know, the squad's unbalanced, he's had injuries, he's had suspensions, he's had coronavirus, then we need to make those same excuses for Ndombele and, and give him just as much of a a clean slate. Um, I still think he's one of our best players. I appreciate that he's not shown that on a regular basis, but I think the glimpses we saw at the beginning of the season uh, and some of the glimpses we saw in, in cameos later as well show that he is a supremely talented player. And I think it's really important that we try to get the best out of that talent rather than giving up on it because I don't think we're going to sign another midfielder as good as Ndombele anytime soon. Uh, and it would be such a pity to to lose one of the most coveted central midfielders in the world because of what? A falling out maybe? I don't know. It just seems it just seems too little to give up on him on. And I, I, I think we've got to try and persist and get what we can out of him because he's brilliant and he can be brilliant. 
Ben Bowman says, Pochettino said Spurs needed a painful rebuild. Now he, Dembele, Eriksen, Vertonghen and Rose are gone. For you, who else goes? Which that remain in terms of the character are the heart of the new Spurs? So what do you think, Nathan? Who who for you would would remain and be the heart of Spurs now? Uh, Celso, Kane, Son and Dombele. <laughs> new defensive midfielder. Uh, I, I guess Eric Dyer. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, who would have thought you'd that's... be saying that three months ago? <laughs> well, that's just the direction of the team, you know. Um, who goes though? Sissoko. I would get rid of Lucas, but that seems unlikely. Uh, I would terminate Jensen's loan. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely savage, mate. <laughs> no, but just like okay, the reason we brought Jensen in, as far as I can tell, was because Sissoko got injured when we desperately needed him. So we got a player who was a bit like him to come in and, you know, be in his place while he was injured. And then by the time, you know, then football immediately went on a break. And by the time it was back, Sissoko was back. So I guess, like, you wait until the end of the window because, like, you want to see how you field midfield places and how Ndombele is getting along and stuff. But I, if things go well in the transfer window, I don't get what Jensen brings us. Yeah. And like, yeah, you, you know what? You're absolutely right. Nathan, the Terminator Clark, is absolutely right. Uh, all Jensen will do is stand between Harvey White getting a first team debut, uh, and I, I'd rather put faith in our own homegrown players. I mean, the thing about Jensen is he's a freebie on the um, player registration list for the next year he can probably cover a couple of positions okay and we're probably keeping a super agent somewhere sweet (laughs) i would want to hire a lawyer full-time and all he does every day is he reads uh jedson's um pre-sale contract over and over again (laughs) to make sure that we never ever trigger any of the conditions that mean that we have to pay lots of money to sign him permanently. Was it like 40 million? I think it was like looking at that kind of sum of money. Yeah. They must have been cackling as they wrote that into the contract. Which is why I also suspect there's a clause written in Portuguese that <laughs> says if he spends more than 71 minutes on the pitch on more than seven occasions, then the, you know, whatever, <laughs> then the clause is triggered and the transfer is permanent. Please no. Please God no. No. I mean... <laughs> He's not awful, but he's just not he's just nothing special. Uh and there's nothing to say that he can't develop into a good player, but let's not be our let's not be the bloody let's not be the guinea pigs, right? If we're not gonna be the guinea pigs for our own young players, let's not be the good guinea pig for someone else's. It it seems silly to me. Um so I think in terms of their character and the heart of Spurs, it's it's the spine, isn't it? It's out of our old it's Kane, it's Lo Celso. It's definitely Son. I absolutely adore that man. I think he's he, he brings me so much happiness mm. in, in terms of watching football. Um, how do you feel about Larice now? Pretty positively, he, he's, had a, he's had a really really good spell post lockdown. Yeah. Oh, oh, I had a question um, that I forgot to forward. Um, so Charles uh, sent me some of his. Um, saves versus post-shot expected goal data. So post-shot expected goal. So normally when we look at a shot to measure the likelihood of it going in, we look at like where the shot was taken, how many defenders are in the way, what foot it's taken on, uh, whether it came from a pass or a dribble, etc, etc, etc. Post-shot, we look at where the ball is hit to. Is it wide? 
is it central? Is it right in the corners of the goal? Is it right in the corner and low where it's hardest to save? Uh, that kind of information. And consistency, consistently, year after year after year, Lloris has been one of the best uh, shot stoppers in terms of all analytical measurement that we can possibly put together, um, essentially his entire Tottenham career. Um, so I remember uh, at the beginning of the 2018-19 season, he was going through a rough spell. He made several like major errors within a couple of months period and uh, given the ball away with his feet, um, completely fluffing crosses, chucked the ball into his net a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and then obviously like Brighton, you know, oh, obliterated his elbow, yeah. throwing the ball into his own net. Um, uh, I remember back then, um, Mike Goodman wrote a piece defending him because Spurs fans were giving him a lot of hard time. And essentially Mike's piece was entirely on his post-shot data that he was like consistent, consistently one of the best in the world, like right at like top five every year for years in terms of his shot stopping. Um, and I think it's just, it's easy for us to forget that, you know. Um, he does have these flaws in his game. We're seeing less of them recently because there are defenders in the box to grab his cr- crosses and that he's not being asked to pass the ball anywhere but way up into the air. Um, but his shot stopping is absurd still and probably will be for a little while longer. Um, so he, a new goalkeeper is way down the priority list. Um, I do think it's something that we should be thinking about all the time. Um, but, you know, the Reese's ability to get in the way of the net is is absolutely incredible. And um, I just think that it's so easy to forget that when yeah. we're used to him. And I, I think that, like, um, Gazaniga and Vorm and everyone else gets a huge amount of scrutiny uh, and are, yeah, are portrayed yeah, yeah. as like horrific yeah. shot stoppers, but they're not. They just seem that way compared to the release. You're so right. You're so right. And I've been very guilty of this myself. I think when Larice makes an error, he he really makes an error. <laughs> he looks <laughs> bad, doesn't he? It? It, it doesn't do him any favours. But it's wrong to sort of... <sighs> Haul him, haul him over the coals every time he makes a high-profile error. When actually he's he's sometimes saving us in the same match, one hundred percent regularly saving us in the same match. Yeah. Um. In fact, I want to make a public apology to Hugo Hugo <laughs> okay. Lloris. I'm sorry, Hugo. I should never have doubted you. I should have looked at the data, and I was wrong. And you're a brilliant goalkeeper. Uh. Please don't drink and drive ever again. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, we've got our goalkeeper for let's say two years minimum hopefully longer and you know just one less problem to deal with in the squad is really helpful right now because we've got some serious holes to fix and if we add goalkeeper to that as well it becomes problematic i i agree with what you're saying in terms of we need to be looking for the the replacement the long-term replacement that's really difficult because not many goalkeepers are going to come and join the club where hugo Lloris is first choice goalkeeper because he's really good so you're kind of having to keep irons in the fire i guess and yeah watch to make sure you don't lose out on that player you've decided you like because another club whose goalkeeper is just about to leave can jump in and promise them 38 games a season. That's problematic. Uh, Vorm leaving is an interesting one because it opens up that third 
goalkeeper option, and I presume this time we'll keep it in-house. We'll use Whiteman or Austin next season for that. Do you know how highly those two are sort of considered and rated? I know the goalkeepers aren't sort of your area. No, no. I never feel comfortable rating goalkeepers. Uh, Of the two, from what I've seen, I much prefer Austin. Okay. Uh, But I get I get a feeling that the club prefer Whiteman. Um, I don't know. That's that just comes from who seems to be uh, prioritised when it comes to like being on the bench or being travelling with the first team. So Austin's been out on loan, is that right? And Whiteman's been kept as as our our in house emergency youth keeper. Correct. Yeah. So I mean that could switch around next season. Perhaps if Austin's grown out on loan and and proved that he can uh, play first team football, then maybe he'll be trusted to be third choice and Whiteman goes out next. In fact, I'd be I'd be all for that. I think that would be a sensible approach. But equally, I'd really like Austin to get another season out on loan. Which you mm. know, then you're back down to the same problem. Do you sign a kind of experienced third choice goalkeeper? Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Okay, one final question. This one is from Debaser92, who is a legend on Shout Twitter. Shout Jack. Yeah, lovely, lovely man. He says, which players from Norwich, Bournemouth and Watford should we be interested in? <laughs> we did this before, uh, but the, it was Villa instead of Watford. Let's have yeah. a look at uh, Watford's squad real quick. Well, so, so my thing with these three teams is that their best, each of the team's best player is in a position we don't necessarily need. So yes. I'd say Nor- Norwich's best player is Buendia. Bournemouth's best player is David Brooks, and Watford's best player is Gerard Delafeu. That is correct. Uh, I don't think we necessarily need any of those players. Delafeu could perhaps do a job up top, as he has done for Watford at times this season, but I can't see us signing him. Buendia I really like, and I think if we didn't have Jose Mourinho as our manager, I think he would be a really good signing and would play lots of games, but I can't see us squeezing in another attacking midfielder in a Mourinho system. And David Brooks, again, like similar to Buendia, he's really good. He can play from the right, he can play in the middle, play behind a striker, but we've got enough players that can kind of do all those things already, so... I don't see where he would fit in. Uh, Then you start looking at positions you can upgrade on and the obvious one is Max Ahrens can play right back better than Serge Aurier I'm not hugely sold on Ahrens but I would agree that he's an upgrade on Aurier other than that there's not a lot that I necessarily like would you take Troy Deeney or um, Callum Wilson as a backup striker uh oh Wilson is not completely beyond I'll have a think about Wilson Deeney is a no because he is uh 32 I'm looking through Watford squads and it is so old Deeney 32 Capu 32, Yamat 31, Dawson 30. So Saar is 22. Uh, if you know, we do like to look at wingers every window forever. Uh, and then like Nathaniel Chalaber is 25. Injury history, more of a passing defensive midfielder than a ball winning midfielder. Mm. Um, Pereira's 29. Jesus. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. They, I, they've really been caught with some players on big wages who are very old haven't they it's it's a bit of a mess of a squad it's there's a talent in this squad but it is a nasty time to be relegated because Mm, now they mm. have yeah just half their squads like most of their squad is like over the age of 27 and expensive that's um it's gonna be a tough time for Watford if there are any Watford fans who occasionally listen to the extra inch I'm sorry I'm so sorry (laughs) we're both (laughs) apologising 
Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I like Deeney a lot. Not just as a player, but as a character. Because he, he gives Arsenal a shit. <laughs> he, yeah, he does. Uh, I would urge anyone who's not listened to Troy Deeney on Louis Theroux's podcast that was released during lockdown. It's a fascinating listen. He is he's a brilliant person to listen to. He's incredibly articulate, honest, open, transparent. Talks a lot about his, his upbringing and how that's made in the man he is now. And he talks openly about therapy as well, which is always interesting to hear a, a player from the world of football talk about therapy. Um, but I, I think he'd be great in the dressing room, and I think he'd be the kind of player that Mourinho would like, actually. But he wouldn't suit Daniel Levy's transfer policy at all. So I, I think he, I think Levy wouldn't sign off on that one. Nah. Other than them, it's difficult to sort of see players that would have a, a tangible, who would tangibly improve. Our squad. Uh, Jamal Lewis at Norwich is a good left back. Whether he's ready to come in and and be better than Davis or Sessignon, I I doubt. Uh, and if we're going to sign a left back, it needs to be someone significantly better, I would say. But yeah, um, that's that's pretty much covered off those three. Nathan, I'm going to have to go now because I'm in quite a lot of pain. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm suffering with the same, potentially the same illness as Nathan, which is a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, podcast contagible. Hernia Brothers. Yeah. So I'm going to log off now. Uh, thanks for listening, and we're we'll back soon to do a season review with Bardi. You've been listening to the Extra. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.